Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us Rena Kumar Singham. She is an international trainer and therapist, and she has a MBA in regression therapy. (laughs) Rena spreads her light helping others transition into living in a new consciousness. I love that. And she has a great website with many online courses. She offers one-on-one therapy and training, and she is the author of three amazing books, and she's here to talk about her new book. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Where do you live exactly? I'm in the UK, so I'm about 15 minutes from Stonehenge. Oh my and God. So we're about an no hour from way. Avebury, about an hour to Glastonbury. So yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So what's your new book called? My new book is called Divine Consciousness. Awesome. Yay. And Mandy <laughs> actually killed it yesterday and read two of the three of your books. Did you? <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I read The Divine Consciousness and The Mary Magdalene, the Magdalene Lineage. And I absolutely was blown away. My brain was like, were you? Wow. Yeah. Incredibly intriguing. Very well written. Thank you. Past life regressions are something that Shannon and I both have experienced, but also would like to experience more. What got you into that? So I was actually born and raised in Malaysia. We're of Sri Lankan descent, so I I grew up a Hindu. As a Hindu, it's like a fact of life. Reincarnation happens, you know, past lives happen. And so I've always been really intrigued with past life regression. But then through my journey, then I became an atheist. And when I went to university, I wanted to do psychology because I wanted to be in a place where I wanted to understand people's behavior and I wanted to help people in that capacity. I was 21 when I graduated with psychology and then I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm ready yet. I, don't, I didn't feel like I was equipped enough to help people with just a degree. So then I went into to business school and then I, I went into the corporate world and I was doing public relations for a while for about 10 years. Then I got really bored of public relations and I was in the media industry. So a public relations mentor said to me, Rena, if you're bored of public relations in the media industry, you just better leave public relations altogether. And so I thought, okay, you know, this guy's probably right. And I decided to explore the whole psychology thing again. I was in Singapore at this time and I saw a school called the Past Life Regression Academy they did like a one day workshop introducing their course where they married psychotherapeutic techniques with past life regression. And I thought, you know, that's it. (laughs) The angels began to sing and I thought, that's it. You know, that's a course for me. So I did the course and, um, and then I married the teacher and (laughs) literally, (laughs) I literally married the teacher, Andy Tomlinson. (laughs) And I tell him that he got me and my money and he hasn't paid me the money back. So, you know, we're still discussing that. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) He did really well. So that's how I ended up in the UK. 
then I've started to train people in it. And as I started to train people, and I've obviously been practicing it for years, um, you know, the different clients popped up for the three books. And that's basically how I got into it. Wow, that's amazing. So no Christian background then? I have no Christian background. The only thing I knew about Christianity was Christmas and mm-hmm. that Jesus died on the cross. I mean, I have a friend who's very deeply Catholic. And so, you know, we wouldn't talk about Christianity so much, but, you know, I would go to her house for Christmas and there'd be a cross there. And then I'd say, what's that? And, oh, Jesus died on it, blah, blah. That's the only thing I knew about Christianity and Jesus. You were seeing clients in your practice. And over a few years, this biblical path started for you and your clients. The first client came when I first moved to the UK, and that was about nine years ago. So she came along to me. Her name is Mia. By the way, these are not their real names. I mean, that was one of the conditions of writing the books that they wanted to remain anonymous, which I agreed with. So she came to me because she wanted a a between lives regression. And part of the between lives regression session is you have to take them back to a significant past life just to explore things and how they go. And she then dropped into the life of James. I was navigating this past life she says yes I'm, I'm James I'm the brother of Jesus and my first thought was Jesus had a brother <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing is I'm just trained to suspend judgment while I do this work anyway right mm-hmm. so I just sort of navigated her through the life and then she came for her between lives and then when she came out of it it wasn't such a big deal you know, it was like, okay, Jesus had a brother. I never knew that. And then I had another client that came to me. He's a long-term client. He comes to me for past life regression. And he came to me one day and he suddenly dropped into the life of Paul, the evangelist. And then I was doing some training and someone dropped into the life of Martha, the sister of Mary Magdalene. And then I was doing another between life session and this person dropped into the life of Thomas, the disciple. I like Thomas. Yeah, I like Thomas as well. But this was really funny because neither of us knew who Thomas was. (laughs) Oh, not everyone had a Christian background. No, not everyone had a Christian. Mary Magdalene didn't have a Christian background. Thomas she she's a seeker, so she didn't have a strong Thomas doesn't have a book. His book was actually removed, wasn't it? Exactly. Yes. A lot of people don't know so much about Thomas. Thomas. So that was really fascinating because I was navigating. Everything was coming (laughs) out of her spontaneously. And then after that, she she came out and and she looked at me. She goes, there was a disciple Thomas. And I said, I don't know. (laughs) Of the book of Thomas. You know, now that I've done all my research, his Mm -hmm. was actually the first book ever written. Was it? I didn't know that. You're kidding me. Well, I have read it. I mean, there's many parts of it that I actually put in notes because I loved it so much. Yeah. It's the purest form of the teaching. You're kidding me. The Gospels were written after all that. It's fascinating hearing you tell this story of like your client that was in a past life regression comes out and is like, who the heck is Thomas? Yeah just you know, adds a lot of validity to the stories because if for our listeners, if, if they have never done a past life regression, until you experience it, you don't really understand. It, when I had mine, even though I was 
somewhat awake, things just were coming out of my mouth that were so detailed, you can't just make it up. So I just wanted to kind of bring awareness to that because for our listeners who've never done a past life regression, they might not even understand what it is. Yeah, you're quite right. A lot of skeptics wonder, you know, with past life regression, if someone is actually either making it up or if someone is confabulating. Confabulating is different from making it up in the sense that confabulating is someone had read or had heard about a story before it sort of went you know it's stored in the subconscious and then when they are under hypnosis it comes out as though it's their own story so that's confabulation and making up is something completely different you know making up is you are creating the story and we have a couple of medical doctors in different parts of europe that's actually doing MRI scans while people are undergoing past life regression. And they're finding that different areas of the brain lights up when someone is going through the regression versus when someone is either remembering something in the current life, which confabulation sort of falls into, or when someone is actually making something up. And so one of those... exciting. Yeah, it is. And with Shrouded Truth, which is the first book, you know, there were eight people from all over the world that came to me, either while I was teaching or just for sessions that spontaneously went into these lives. And so something in me went, okay, I think there's something here. It's like a pattern of biblicalness happening here. So I, I contacted all of them and I explored it quite deeply. And then I had all this data and I said, okay, now I have to do the research to match the data, right? Because some of these accounts were like, whoa, you know, James, you know, Jesus had a brother, like so many different things. And the Mary Magdalene story was so new to me as well. And Thomas took a lot of research, you know, to determine Thomas's validity, his accounts. But that's basically how it happened. And that's how Shrouded Truth came. So with Shrouded Truth, when you have like eight people from around the world, that basically talked about a particular event. And this was around Jesus' crucifixion and life and what happened after. I think about 85% to 90% of their accounts dovetailed. So wow. it, it was consistent, right? And so that was the one indication that, okay, something real is happening here. And then when you sort of back it up with historical research, then came really real for me. The whole process of writing Shrouded Truth took about five years. Clients, all eight of them, your clients? Yep, they were my clients and, or students from Australia. One was from Singapore. I mean, they were like all over the world. So together they were telling a bigger story to you. That's right. They were telling a much bigger story. And for me, there is a really pertinent point here because even when I didn't know about Christianity and my friend was telling me, you know, the cross was where... Jesus died. And then after, you know, I sort of did the research and, you know, the crucifixion was a form of torture and execution, I think, for the worst of offenders in those days for the Romans. Something didn't sit right with me. But there is this beautiful account in the Thomas section of Shrouded Truth, which basically talks about how all the followers of Jesus would hold hands every day. And they would connect up and down, left and right, for oneness, connection with sky and ground. And that was basically the cross, right? And I thought, oh, oh my God, connection and oneness. That's a beautiful representation and meaning for the cross, you know, versus mm -hmm. the, 
the execution. So I really like that particular account. The other accounts that sort of the big ones were that Jesus was not the son of a poor family and neither mm -hmm. was Mary Magdalene. You know, we'll get this with James as well, is that Jesus's father was actually a merchant in mm -hmm. ancient Judea. And so Jesus then went off following his path and he became the, the Nazarene priest. But James then took on the mantle of the business. And so what he did was he grew the business and Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married. They had three kids. Tamar was the eldest. She's the girl, Jesus Jr. And the last child called Josephus. It's so interesting because there is a story in James where he came to Britannia because he wanted to grow the tin mining business and he wanted to export tin from Cornwall in Britain back to ancient Judea, to Jerusalem. And there is a story in the UK that in Glastonbury, Joseph of Arimathea established the first Christian church. Who's Joseph of Arimathea? So, so Joseph of Arimathea is said to be Jesus's uncle. But in my research, what I found out is that Joseph of Arimathea is a title given to the second son and Arimathea was the merchant business. So basically it was James, the brother of Jesus, okay. that actually expanded the business. And when he came to Britannia, he brought Jesus Jr. with him. So that kind of makes that, um, that whole uncle relationship a little bit more solid. I mean, it's just these little details. And because James was a merchant, he was part of the Sanhedrin Council because he was a very successful merchant. He could then do everything that he needed to do to basically take on the helm of Jesus' church when Jesus did eventually pass away. With James, the brother of Jesus, and this is what the Divine Consciousness book is about, because it looks at the two different leaders of the early Christian church. So one was James, the brother of mm -hmm. Jesus. And Jesus basically told James, you take on the mantle of my church. And then you had St. Paul, the evangelist. Mm -hmm. What they did was they developed two very different teachings. James continued on what is known as the Judeo-Christian teachings. So Jesus and James were Jews. You know, they were born mm -hmm. Jews, right? And the reason why Jesus did what he did was because he didn't agree with how the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing things, you know, with the priests and with, with that amount of control. So he then adopted the more um, Essene way of being. And he became a Nazarene, which is one of the high priests of the Essenes. And he basically led the Essenes. It's really fascinating because when he passed on the mantle of his church, he passed on the mantle of the Judeo-Christian church to James. But then you had St. Paul the Evangelist. Now, St. Paul the Evangelist really loved Jesus and he really idolized Jesus, right? He had so much passion for what Jesus was saying. He had so much passion for the teachings, so much so that when, when it was time for all of them to set to part ways, he then went to you know, different places, but he ended up in Rome. Now, in those days, 
you couldn't preach or you couldn't teach a different teaching in Rome without getting killed. And not only that, here was a Jewish man and people in Rome in those days occupied, the Romans occupied Judea, right? So suddenly you had this Jewish person coming and, and teaching a different teaching. So what Paul did was he had to adopt Jesus's teachings because he wanted to spread the essence of love, which is what Jesus was teaching a lot, Christos. But he couldn't use Jesus as the mortal man, you know, because nobody would listen to this Jewish mortal person's teachings. It, it wouldn't go in, right? So he then made Jesus into this divine being, the son of God. And then in those days, the Romans were practicing pagans. So they basically worshiped many different deities, but their deities were quite wrathful and quite punishing. So they had to appease the deities with different forms of sacrifice for them to get the blessing. So what Paul did was he said, okay, but Jesus, this beautiful divine son of God doesn't expect anything from you. He died for, for you. And that is his supreme act of sacrifice because he loves you. It's a different story. And because he did this, people started to listen to him. And that then started to grow the Gentile Christian movement which is the foundation and the basis for, you know, the, the, the Christian religion now, Catholicism and um, the Protestant. Protestant. Yeah. yeah. So at the same time, was... James was in, first he was in Britannia. So when Jesus gave mm -hmm. him the mantle first, he started, he wanted to practice. And so he was in Britannia and he was sort of teaching there. But then the church in Judea started to fall apart. So he was then called back to go back to Jerusalem to head up the church in Jerusalem. James's way of teaching is very, very different because James admitted in the accounts he didn't have the presence of Jesus and he wasn't the spiritual teacher that Jesus was. But what he was very good at was mediation. And the other thing he was very good at was he embodied the teaching of Jesus his actions basically is what Jesus's teachings were about. So he became Jesus's teachings, which is why he got the name James the Righteous or James the Just. But with the mediation aspect of it, it was fascinating because the Judeo-Christian church was being pulled apart. You had the zealots who were very, very you know, they were against the Romans and they were very fiery and really passionate. And, you know, they basically wanted to change not through loving means or not through calm means. So he had to calm the zealots down. And then you had the people who adopted the Judeo-Christian ways, but were very, very tied to the old laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he had to sort of manage that group. And then you also had the Gentile Christians with Paul. He was trying to introduce the Gentile Christians into the Judeo church. But the Gentile Christians didn't understand the laws. They didn't understand circumcision. They, you know, they said, I'm not going to be circumcised to follow. <laughs> no, I don't want that. No. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, right. 
right? Mm -hmm. If you don't sort of understand, you're not brought up in that belief system, you know, things like kosher food, things like that, you know, they sort of didn't want to do that. So he was actually trying to mediate and manage all these disparate factions within the Judeo-Christian church as well. So he had a really hard job keeping everything and everyone together. But it's fascinating because they had very similar rituals, but they gave different meanings to it. Like St. Paul, the evangelist, he introduced baptism in his church or in his teachings. And for him, baptism was all about cleansing the sins and sort of letting go of the old way so that you can adopt this new way so that you can then go to heaven as well. Whereas the Judeo-Christians, their way of looking at baptism was just embracing the love of God. Then you come to Gnosticism, and, and this is where the Magdalene lineage comes in with Tamar's story as well. And the way Tamar and Mary Manton looked at baptism, it was about embracing the light of oneness. And mm. in Shroud of Truth, we did look at baptism and John the Baptist. And apparently what he did in the accounts, right, is that he channeled light into the water, the light of oneness into the water, so that when he baptized Jesus or anyone, really, he was sort of bringing them into the light of oneness. So it's really fascinating how baptism was clearly such an important part of the, the religion of all three mm -hmm. different churches, but they had three different interpretations. What does Thomas say about this time? What, what was he doing? Thomas, unfortunately, um, died quite early in Shrouded mm -hmm. Truth in Syria. Yeah, he wasn't doing too much teaching. Mm -hmm. Oh, it didn't come out in the, in the accounts. So he might have been, but I didn't get anything from the accounts. But Mary Magdalene was. Yes, Mary Magdalene was. And Tamar, their daughter, that was another person that came as well. So Mary Magdalene, I mean, hers was fascinating because, you know, after the crucifixion, she took her children to France. She did start her teaching in Judea, actually. Jesus asked her to embrace her light and start to teach because Mary Magdalene's story is really fascinating because Jesus wasn't her first husband. She actually was married beforehand. And the reason why she married beforehand was because her family had a quite a high standing in society. Being a daughter of a very rich merchant, they viewed daughters as um, trading goods for status or for cooperation, basically married off for a deal. Same thing happened to her. And she married a very rich merchant who was also very, very you know, he, he hung on to patriarchal values. In my opinion, he was also a slightly bit narcissistic because he abused her a lot as well. So she fled from that when she met Jesus or when she came back in touch with Jesus. And in doing so, she had to give everything up. She gave up her reputation because he couldn't face the fact that she had left her. So he basically smeared her and said that she was a whore. Is that where she got the prostitute reputation? In the accounts, yeah, that's exactly where she got it from. 
And she basically gave up the rich life. She gave up her clothes. She had to give up family members. I mean, it was, you know, she had to give up a lot. In giving all that up, she found Jesus. And Jesus and her had this amazingly beautiful relationship that she didn't have with the husband. Like they really, he saw her as an equal and he saw the light in her as opposed to just the trappings, you know, the physical trappings, the social standing. And because she'd had such a, bad experience in the past she was also very self-conscious she didn't value herself very much so when she got together with Jesus she would share her ideas with Jesus and then Jesus would encourage her to share her light with others and so she started to teach women in ancient Judea a different form of being a woman being feminine so some of the things she was teaching was about say getting your period menstruation in ancient Judea, getting people sort of viewed in the old ways, getting the period was a, was a dirty thing, right? So, you know, you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't pray, you had to wait until it was all finished, and then you're pure again. But with her teachings, it was about a detox, right? And it was about embracing femininity a little bit more. And when you get your period, you, you're more in tune with your emotions and your intuition. So then, the, you know, she taught the women how to be more intuitive and, and work more from intuition. I mean, it was just so beautiful, so beautiful. And she taught a different way. She experienced a different way with pregnancy, with birth, with the way they took care of children, and then when they went to France, she just continued those teachings. And it was more about embracing Christos. It was a, it was a very spiritual experience. So, you know, her teaching was more from the Kabbalah, very esoteric, whereas Judeo-Christianity, the way James sort of managed it, and, and Gentile Christianity you know, sort of followed more the, the Torah, where it was about the teachings and the rituals versus the esoteric sense. Why have I never heard of the Essene? I was shocked I'd never heard of it before. What happened to the Judeo-Christians? So let's just go back into history again. In AD 70, after James died, the Romans laid siege on Jerusalem and basically collapsed the Judeo-Christian church because they were trying to introduce their own belief system and everything else. So what happened to the Judeo-Christians was they dispersed into Arab. And my theory, my theory is, because it's really fascinating, because there's a verse in the Quran that talks about what happened to Jesus. That's very different to the mainstream Christian narrative, but it's very similar to the accounts of my regressees. So I actually think that the Judeo-Christian sort of started to assimilate a little bit in the Arabic world and the Arabs and the Muslim religion. The Essenes as well were, even in those days, were a very quiet sect. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like them because they were sort of teaching a different way of being. So it was always kept underground because they didn't live in Jerusalem per se. They had nothing to do with the way that the city was run. They had no status. They were basically living in caves, the Qumran caves. And a lot of their teachings were buried. When James died, they completely disconnected from Judeo-Christianity. 
and they adopted, they basically said, Jesus is my God, you know, it had nothing to do with the Jews. So they completely separated. But it was only recently in the 1940s that the Dead Sea Scrolls emerged. And it's from the Dead Sea Scrolls that people started to understand that there's a different type of branch of teachings, the Essenes. And then in the 1940s in Egypt, the Nag Hammadi scrolls popped up as well. And that's where they went, oh my goodness, you know, so here's a completely different sort of Gnostic teachings that came. But before that, when you had all these different types of Christianity, there was a fight for dominance and Gentile Christianity won this fight. This is where I actually have a lot of admiration for Paul. He told stories and he told such convincing stories and people wanted to hear in, in Rome those days, stories of love, you know, of a God that is loving, God that would sacrifice himself for them as opposed to them sacrificing for, you know, all these different deities. But he then started to also teach eventually senators so he started to get into the top ranks of people. And politics. Then, yeah, politics. And then it completely got into politics because then you had Constantinople, you know, in about 380 or so, who adopted Christianity as his religion. And he basically, he used Christianity as a way of, for political gain. And since then, he also got the Council of Nicaea together, which is where they brought all the different gospels. And in this council, they sort of debated which gospels went in and which gospels didn't stay in. It was in this particular council that there was a lot of debate about reincarnation. And there was a chap called Origen. He brought out reincarnation. And they basically said, no, we don't want reincarnation in our gospels because reincarnation means, you know, the soul continues on. There's divine aspects to the soul. So in 300 or so AD, Gentile Christianity said no to reincarnation, but the Gnostics totally embraced reincarnation. So it's really fascinating. So the Essene wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then later on, Jesus kind of adapted to, am I hearing this right? Yes, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the teachings of the Essenes, which the Essene, were adopted yeah. by Jesus. Okay, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I, I was just really shocked at that. You know, your book created emotions in me. Like, I, for a minute, I was like very resentful towards Paul, yeah. and then... You know, I felt like James and Paul had some animosity towards each other. Yeah. Started feeling a little angered that they were twisting things to kind of fit into what they were trying to teach and where they were trying to teach. Yeah. But then at the end, in your conclusion, it was beautiful when he passed away and got to meet his brother again. And that Jesus said, it's okay, it happened how it was supposed to. And it was in that moment that I realized their intentions were both in the right place. That's right. And so then my resentment towards Paul kind of went away. But I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I mean, truly, both of their intentions were in the right place. Exactly. It's, it's just the message. It was like that game of phone. It, That's it right. Just... Have you seen the Book of Mormons? The musical comedy? No. 
Oh, okay. Because Paul's story reminds me a little bit about the way the Book of Mormons is. It's so funny and so offensive, you know, that it's quite funny, right? It's basically about these Mormon missionaries who were sent to Africa and they wanted to convert some of the African people into Mormonism. When they started to talk about Jesus and what Jesus was, the, the people in Africa went, you know, this is all not relevant to us. You know, we've got babies dying at such a young age. We have no food. You know, we're so poor. So the missionaries, because they had to meet a certain number of people they had converted or something, what they did was they completely changed the story. And, you know, they changed it in such a funny way. I mean, Darth Vader was part of the story, but, you know, it addressed every issue. <laughs> <laughs> that really is hilarious. Okay, I gotta watch it. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> the head of the Mormons came to visit because they were like, oh my goodness, you know, this place is doing really well with conversions. And, and so all the villagers put on a show for the heads of the Mormons about Jesus with Darth Vader in it. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> so this is a musical, so it's funny. So the, the head of the Mormons went, hang on, this has nothing to do with Mormonism. What have you done, you know? Yeah, right. So, you know? so what he did was he basically cut them off from Mormonism and they went home. But this group then started to go around Africa telling this story with Darth Vader, mm. you know, about <laughs> Mormonism. They made it relevant yeah. to the mm -hmm. Africans. Even Darth oh Vader my gosh. That's so funny. I'm going to have to watch this. It's really... <laughs> it's like the game of phone. I have a joke for you. You might have heard it. Mm -hmm. A new monk had arrived to the monastery. He was assigned to be a scribe, uh -huh. and he was told to go and copy some of the old biblical texts by hand. Right. And as he was doing it, he noticed that he was copying from copies, right? Oh, and right, so right. he went and told the head monk, you know, if there was an error in the very first copy, then this is going to continue on in all copies. So the head monk was like, you know, you have a really good point. Let's go down to those secret archives and I'm going to go grab some of these original texts for you. So he goes down there and he's gone for a while and everyone's kind of getting worried. Like, where is he? So they head towards the secret archives and they hear the screaming and like the sobbing and they're like, oh no. And they get to the head monk. They're like, what's wrong? And he's leaning over this original text, just crying. And he says, they forgot the R. The word was celebrate, not <gasps> celebrate. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It is. <laughs> Has anyone ever been Jesus in a regression? I'm sure there is. In Shrouded Truth, I actually did, I, and I put it in the book, there was someone that I thought was Jesus. And, you know, this was where I circumvented the process because I sort of, instead of this story coming out spontaneously to me, I sort of had a gut feel and I did a regression and, and he went back to the life of Jesus, you know, but that was not a genuine account of it. The energy of it, just from the levity of it, from what he said and the way he said it, it was more a sense of 
he really adored Jesus so much that he identified as Jesus, you know, and came out as this identification of Jesus, as opposed to really being the soul that who was Jesus. All of these things are coming to you. Have you regressed to that time? I haven't um, because I wanted to be completely objective and clueless as it were. So I could just take the information and take the research and just present it in the purest form possible. But yeah, maybe later, (laughs) you know, now that it's all done. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think you were there. I mean, because why else is all this coming to you? I mean, there's a bigger picture, right? There's a purpose. Did you find that there was a message or a purpose? Not for me. Right now, because I haven't explored my life in those times, right now, I think that it came to me because number one, I was clueless. And number two, I had the skills to to get the accounts, you know, because, you know, in past life regression. And also number three, I think that I had the, the reach because through Andy's academy, I mean, he teaches worldwide. So that's where I find the people in Australia, in Singapore, in the UK. I think those were the three things, but That's just conscious mind, rationalization. I don't know if there's anything. Maybe, and I'm just rationalizing things too, is that first client, they were like, okay, she's listening. She's getting it. Doors opened. Yeah. So a lot of people from that time were like, we found our way in to speak our truth. (laughs) (laughs) Twelve disciples get together. They're like, listen, you got to go to this girl, Rena, in the UK. Yes. You can tell her all your shit. Go ahead and just put it all out there. She'll believe you. They're not doing it right. They've been fucking up the whole time. <laughs> That's right. She'll believe you. Yeah, right. She yeah. doesn't even know anything different. She's not been brainwashed yet. That's right. Oh, my God. Why do you think that the truth about James was hidden? Like, he was mentioned very minimal. Yeah. So, I think... There are a few reasons for it. And this is because of, you know, the Gentile Christianity. For Paul to maintain Jesus's divinity, Jesus couldn't have a family. He couldn't have a, a wife. So Mary Magdalene was written out. His kids were written out. Mother Mary had a virgin birth, contributed to that part of the divinity. And so, you know, there probably was no other siblings as well. That was one reason. But the second reason... And the big reason is because if there was hereditary, so if there was family that could inherit the church, then the Gentile Christians, the popes, the leaders of the Gentile Christians couldn't be leaders anymore. They'd have to defer to the disponsi, I think. So that's the family. The right? Vinci Code, basically. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it's another reason why that part was also written out. What are your thoughts on why Mary was left out? So in Gentile Christianity and also Judeo-Christianity as well, Gentile Christianity sort of grew in ancient Roman times and that was very patriarchal. Judeo-Christianity also grew in ancient Judea, which was very patriarchal. They couldn't have a woman leader or a woman teacher, right? It would completely discredit their teachings. So that is another reason for 
for Mary Magdalene to not be given value. They didn't even mention Jesus's sisters. No, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. And so it was the time of Pisces. We're shifting. Yes. What does that do to consciousness uh, when you're in the time of Pisces? And this bit really gets me excited because this makes it relevant for us today, right? According to astrologers, 2,000 years ago, they were moving from the age of Aries to the time of Pisces. Now, every time there is a shift between ages, there is a shift in consciousness. And whenever there's a shift in consciousness, there is huge upheaval, huge chaos. It's like spring cleaning your house. You have to get rid of the old. You have to lift under the carpet and sweep all the dust away. You know, you have to lift up the floorboards and see maybe a, some insects, like dead insects there, or maybe a dead rat. Do you know what I mean? So that's basically what happened 2,000 years ago. And that was when Jesus came with his amazing teachings that was very different, both in ancient Judea in France, where Mary Magdalene was, in Rome, where St. Paul went, because they started to teach about love and oneness and all this essence. So if you fast forward it today, right now, we are also changing consciousness. We are moving from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. So much chaos, there's so much upheaval right? You know, there are all these different natural fires. There is so much polarization in the consciousness, whether it's political for different issues. But that's also because it just brings things up to the surface for us to look at and for us to discard if we don't want it or keep whatever it is we want to keep. But what's really fascinating is the fact that these accounts have come up during this time and it's just to help people remember or to see things in a very different way it's to bring the the pureness of jesus's teachings whether you believe in gentile christianity or, or the essenes or, or gnosticism you know they all shared the same value which is love they all shared the same value of oneness they all shared the same value of neighborliness and i think to bring that energy through and adopt that as we are moving forward without participating. And this is really difficult. And I have to be very, very conscious about doing it, but without sort of participating too much in the polarizing dramas, I think is, is key to moving forward into the new consciousness with something different. Yeah. So many people that are awakening, like five or six years ago, it wasn't like this. You couldn't find anything if you looked online for support, which is why Bandy and I started Sense of Soul. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot more light. So when things come up to the surface, the things that are not in resonance or things that are unpleasant have been hidden for so long that now it's sort of coming up for us to see, right? And that's almost like the breaking of the illusion for people who are awakening, it's just a different way of being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love what you just said. We look at the differences and not the similarities. And that's what's really important. The similarity is that we all want the same thing, and that is love. Mm -hmm. That gets lost in all of the you know, different rules and laws and religions. But the reality of it is that it's just about love. And you said that so beautifully. Reading your book about Mary made me realize during that time of Pisces, we were really shifted away from feminine energy. Again, now in this awakening and then during this new age of Aquarius, 
learning how to bring those two back together and the sun being the masculine energy, the moon being the feminine energy. And then here on earth, us being part of that divine, this new feminine energy. And I think a lot of males think of that as, oh, women are rising up. That's not it. It's about each one of us, no matter what our gender is, trying to have a balance of those two energies within ourselves. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because if you look at ancient Hindu practice called non-duality tantra, all the main god deities, you know, Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma have got their shaktis. Shiva has got Parvati, Vishnu has got Parvati, and Brahma has got Saraswati. And it's interesting because in that practice, in that teaching, the, ma- the masculine is the form and the feminine is the energy. You can't have one without the other, right? Because if you just have the feminine without the masculine, the energy is all over the place and not structured. If you just have the masculine and not the feminine, the masculine is kind of just empty, as it were. What is fascinating is that in Magdalene lineage, the way Mary Magdalene was with Jesus is they both had the divine feminine and sacred masculine within them. But then together as well, they embodied, you know, the divine feminine and sacred masculine balance. And because they were so beautifully balanced, that balance reached out and inspired so many people. They brought up children in their special way, you know, in a very different way because of this balance. And I Like you said, in the current world, I think all of us, even the women, have adopted a lot of masculine ways. And it's also about bringing back some of the yin, the feminine way. So receiving is a feminine thing. Giving is like a masculine thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just adopting these different facets. I have a question about um, the lineages. I did a lot of work on my ancestry and I also have done a past life regression and this is all over the past few years. I did the regression and then when I did my ancestry, it aligned, but also what really will shock the hell out of you is like over two years later, I ended up finding out that a person I have a connection with or that was in my regression I'm actually DNA connected to through my ancestry under the same situation. So it was under a plantation owner that in my regression, we were on a plantation. So my thing is because we are soul families and that this is my belief that you're going to find that a lot of times in your ancestry, you're going to be finding people that are in your soul family. So I'm wondering, out of your eight people, have they done any ancestry work to see if they are actually related to those lineages? I was actually looking for Mandy earlier because Mandy has a very strong royal bloodline. And if you believe everything the Bible says, which we don't, but um, in the, the King James Version, he, he claims um, there's an ancestral line there. I've only gotten back um, 1085 or something on her tree, but she's in Jerusalem at that time. Oh, wow. So it's very interesting. I'm, I'm going to try to go back further. Well, if you look at between lives, your past life and your current life, the between life section is, is in between. And we go to the between life progression to sort of find out things like your life purpose, your life plans, your soul plans, 
you look at your relationships and from a soul perspective, you just try and figure out like, what is the connection of this person to your current life? And how is this person helping you grow? So the fact that you said that you're genetically related to someone your past life and, and here, I mean, it completely makes sense because most groups sort of reincarnate at around the same time. Now, sometimes, you know, it depends on how many members there are in your group. So sometimes there could be a hundred members and only five members are, you know. Agree. Yeah. Right. But in that hundred members, you know, you could have multiple past lives together. And also you could have family lines in your current life. Does that make sense? So that's why, you know, there can be a really strong connection. Your question as to whether they've done ancestry, that is a fascinating question. I don't know. This is something else we could research. Oh, it's fascinating. Such an intriguing research question. I was talking to my husband about it. You could probably track down Jesus's family. Well, I do have the daughter and I do have I, I know. That's why brother. I wrote them down. I was trying to track Mandy. <laughs> this morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to find a Sarah. Or I'm going to find her. Yeah. Wow. What is the story of the daughter, the lineage now? Oh, yeah. So according to the accounts, she walked with Mary Magdalene, and she adopted a lot of Mary Magdalene's teachings, and Mary Magdalene passed the mantle of the teachings, as it were, for Tamar to continue it on. From the teaching perspective, you know, it became the foundation of Gnosticism. But Tamar also had got married in France and she had multiple children. She knew in the accounts that some of those children had grandchildren, so it did continue on. But what is fascinating as well is James, the brother of Jesus, as Joseph of Arimathea, took the two sons to Britain. So Jesus Jr., got married to a daughter of a tribal leader, because in those days, it's all tribal. And they had kids. There is this person called Lawrence Gardner, who wrote about the lineage down Britannia, because this, the other son as well had a quite a high marriage. The research is that it sort of birthed the Pendragon family, Arthur. It seems to me like, correct me if I'm wrong, like you almost feel like you probably know James and like you know Paul. Yeah. Jesus looking down on what has happened with our world and with religion, what would he say to us now in this time? We did ask some spirits of light about that. When Paul went to see Jesus, he felt very guilty and Jesus says don't worry you know things just happen and they happen as it's meant to be mm. James had the same message right but what the spirits of light basically said is that now is the time for us to see things in a very different way because we are moving into the new consciousness and we can all see the divine in one another because in those days, if you think about how they saw the divine, it was multiple gods. And even the Torah had one God, but at that time was quite a wrathful God, right? So it was all about the sin and the wise you'll be punished. And then they tried to bring this with Paul and with Jesus and with 
Mary Magdalene and with James, they tried to portray a very loving God or loving oneness. And they weren't ready at that time to go from a wrathful God or wrathful multiple gods to the divine within. So there was a stepping stone of a loving God. So now we can move from having the loving God externally into understanding that the divine is within. And that's why the book is called Divine Consciousness, because mm. it's an understanding that the divine is all within us. So Jesus basically went, you know, I'm the same as you. Does that make sense? Yeah. The way, the truth and the light. I am. It's within. Yeah. You have a beautiful way with words and you just, you have such a soft voice anyway. It's, yeah. 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 <laughs> I wanted to read something that Thomas said. The kingdom is inside of you and it's outside of you. When you come to know yourself, then you will become known. Yeah. Was there any part of you that had fear about releasing this and getting backlash from, God, from yeah. Christianity and maybe having to go into hiding? <laughs> yeah, no, that when we self-published uh, Shroud of Truth, I had a lot of fear. I also have a lot of friends who are Christians and I thought, oh my goodness. But I had a really big push to do it. And my husband, bless him. I mean, this man is my rock and he was so supportive and he was like, yeah, let's do it. It wouldn't have happened without him. And so it was good that I had a really strong support system in my husband as well. Yeah, There's so much more to like coming from someone like me who's tried to read the Bible like a hundred times and it just doesn't resonate with my brain. But thank God I had Shanna to kind of break things down for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was blown away to even hear that people think that Jesus's father was Joseph. Your son did. He told me that Joseph was the first deadbeat dad. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, divine consciousness talks about Joseph and what happened to him. I can't wait for that. Was he indeed a deadbeat dad? Did he pay child support? <laughs> <laughs> he was a merchant. He better have. No. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> Can you talk to our listeners about what you're offering on your website? My website is www.reenakumarasingham.com. So it's just my full name. What I offer on my website is basically tools and techniques to empower us to move and live in the new consciousness. These books are part of the offerings sort of gives people a different perspective and then they can see what they can adopt and what they can give away. I offer between life spiritual regression and the main reason for that is so people can understand, you know, what their mission is, what their purpose is being here at this time during this time of change. And that sort of gives them clarity and it cuts through all the illusion. I also offer AVT sessions. So AVT is it's a course that I channeled. It's called Advanced Vibrational Techniques for the New Plane. It's a seven-day retreat where we talk about living in the new consciousness. More than that, it's about how we can work with the energies in the new consciousness. As we're moving into the new consciousness, we're moving into something so much more pure. We can actually harness that energy into our being as we're moving into the new consciousness. But I also offer one-to-one -one therapy if people need it. I sort of, that's the energy work that I give.
also offer on my website are online courses. So I have a course called Empowering the Divine Feminine. And that's all about bringing the feminine aspects into balance with the masculine aspect. I go through what the different feminine aspects are, exercises that people can do to basically bring that more into being, because that is what's going to bring us into balance, into the new consciousness. And the other course I offer is called Embodying Your Divine Consciousness, which is inspired by the Divine Consciousness book. And I also have a three-month meditation program transitioning to the new consciousness. A lot of good, good stuff. <laughs> you sound like us. <laughs> and this and that. And... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. I want to leave your listeners with, I think, a really profound insight by one of the teachers that my parents, they worship him basically, is Sai Baba. He was this guru in India. But it's interesting because he said in this particular incarnation, he came as someone, he, he named himself Satya Sai Baba. And he said that when he dies, he's going to be reincarnated as another guru called Prema Sai Baba. But what I love about that is his choice of names, because Satya in Sanskrit is truth. Prema in Sanskrit is love. And the only way to move into love is to understand and know what is true, which is breaking through the illusion. And that's basically what's happening now, because if we can step back and just observe, and this is quite difficult, but you know, it can be done. If we can step back and watch the illusion break, we can then move into the truth. And from that, we can then move into the love of the Christos of Christ, Prema. Yeah. And break that shit down. I think yeah. that's, the, <laughs> that's the only thing I can think about. <laughs> Thank you so much. Truth and love. Thank you for your bravery and for being that faucet to put this book out there. Thank you. I can't thank wait till you discover that you were part of them and you write the book. And then I want to have you back on. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling. I have a strong feeling about that. <laughs> no, I'll have to ask my husband to regress me. He owes me, I right? Do. Yeah. <laughs> he does owe you. I just have a feeling, Rena, like you're a part of this and they're all coming to you for a for particular purpose. Yes. Yeah. Not just coincidental. I, you know, everything has a purpose and deeper yeah. meaning. Yeah. Maybe you're oh. Jesus. <laughs> That would be odd, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be amazing. So if that happens, you have to come back and tell us. I'd probably end up being like the sheep yeah. in the barn. I was probably like the real whore that they stoned. <laughs> you went in one life, you were a nun, in the next life, yeah. you were the whore. Absolutely. It makes sense. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.